So last week, we, we wanted to, and, and here's the funny thing is, is sometimes I, I, I've been in church, I've been ministering and leading a church for over 30 some years of my life. Thank God by his grace, um, we've, been see, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people give their life to the Lord. But, but one of the things I, I grew tired of is putting on something on Easter Sunday, one Sunday out of 52, that we didn't do for the rest 51 Sundays of the rest of the year. In other words, we got up for this big Sunday, and then the next Sunday was less than adequate and let everybody down. And it was like, I thought the search was a production, and it's not. And so I'm not against productions. I'm not against those things serving the, the gospel. How many understand what I'm saying? And, and so I will do different things, but, but we're not going to make Sunday Easter bigger than Sunday the, the week after Easter. Because how many understand it's somebody's Easter every Sunday? It's resurrection for somebody every time we gather together. And if people aren't giving their life to the Lord, every week that we come together, at least one person. Look, I'm grateful that in the second service, in this service, 85 people got up out of their seats and walked down here. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right now. That's, that's a miracle, by the way. And, and, and they say among preachers when we talk together, that you're not supposed to make people raise their hand, they're not supposed to stand up, and they're not supposed to walk down this aisle and do anything. And yet the hunger and desire for God was enough to drive 85 people out of their seats. Listen, if you're here this morning and you were here last Sunday and you gave your life to the Lord, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to break you, come down. Just raise your hand right now. Just wave. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. Thank God that Jesus is still in the business of saving souls. Amen? And so I want to take it a step further because what we talked about last week is we talked about the cross being an altar and this being a place of exchange where you and I come in. A lot of times, and that's why I had the bedazzled cross on because culturally speaking, what the cross has become is a piece of cool jewelry, a nice tattoo somebody might put on. But, but for you and I, and, and I don't have a problem with tattoos or jewelry, I'm just saying that somehow the message of the cross is getting blurred and we've lost something culturally that used to be sacred to us. The cross is a sacred altar. It is a place of exchange. Yes, is an instrument of Death, but it meant death for Jesus, but it meant life for all of us that would place our faith in Jesus. So it's a sacred place. And we understand, and we went through this, the substitutionary death of Jesus. He died in my place. He suffered in my place. The penalty for my sin was placed on him. He was forsaken by God so that I would never be forsaken by God. He was a curse so that I would always be blessed. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. That's a good, that is good news. But we're going to go further than that today because if you gave your life to the Lord, and this young lady did, if you gave your life to the Lord last week, then I'm going to preach this message specifically for you. It's just you and I, don't worry about these people. What's your name? Amanda. Come on, give Amanda a hand clap. Come on. Huh? Maddie? Got it. Maddie, not Amanda. Got it. So the, the first question you've got to be asking yourself, having then newly prayed at this altar and said, man, man, that is so good. And I saw you, you were emotional and that type of thing. And Jesus touched your life, right? The very next question you ought to be asking yourself is this, very simple, now what? What happens now? What, what, what do I do now? And this is a question, quite frankly, that we as preachers in the 21st century have not done a good job of answering for you and teaching you the way of Christ. Say the way of Christ. Some people call it the way of Jesus. Whatever it is, you need to understand that how we live immediately changes 180 degrees when we come to the cross and accept what Jesus has done. Your life was headed this way, and the minute you met Jesus, you discovered you were headed toward death. You met Jesus who is life, and now you have turned around. You have repented and turned your life toward him. Now, there is, for you and I to understand, there was a sacrifice, right, for your sins, correct? 
Jesus was called the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, foreshadowing or actually fulfilling what the Old Testament sacrificial system was only meant to do to point you to Christ, keep Israel in right relationship with God until the coming of the ultimate sacrifice that would be made for once and for all, for all of humanity. That was done in Jesus. He paid the price. Say, it's done. done. Touch your neighbor, say, it's finished. Okay, you don't have to earn your salvation. There's nothing you could do to earn it. Your Bible reading, your church attendance, your tithe giving, your good news, your highlighters, your podcast, all of that stuff, your journaling, all of that does not save you. We learned this and literally we went through this when we went through the seven sayings of Jesus when the thief on the cross met Jesus, met salvation. He didn't get down off the cross and go get baptized. He didn't go to the membership class. He didn't get to the connect class. He didn't do any of that. There are no works that you can offer for right relationship with Jesus. All you can do is accept what has already been done. Right? So there's no price for salvation. But... Here's the bad news. If you are going to grow in Christ, you will make sacrifices. You will make adjustments. You will have to reprioritize your life, your patterns of life. You will discover that Jesus will accept you the way that you are. Aren't you glad? But, but he will not leave you as he found you. And though he starts with you giving your heart to him, you will discover that Jesus just will not stay put in different compartments of your life. And it, wouldn't it be great if, if, it, if your walk with God looks something like this? You just said, you know what, I know we're supposed to have devotions in the morning because I heard PK and we read the Bible and he's addicted to coffee. I'm not. I got you. That's me. Pray for me. And so you just, you, you accept Jesus and you wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, it's so good to see you. Grateful to have you. I'm saved now in my right mind, kind of-ish. Um, thank God for you and what you've done in my life. Um, I'm off to work. And, and we think we leave Jesus there. And Jesus is like right here. You're like, hey, Jesus, um, I just, you know, I want you to go back to the house. And, and, and Jesus, hey, you can sit right here in my good chair. Sit right there. And, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to go to work. And I'm going to go lie to people at work. I'm going to be less than integrous at work. And then I'm going to come back and say hi to Jesus in the evening. Wait a minute. You mean Jesus is going to go with me with my unsaved boyfriend and girlfriend? He going to go on that date too? Because we do stuff on that date. I'm not sure Jesus will, uh, Anyway, let me find something you like. <laughs> wait, wait. Jesus won't just stay at East Hill on Sunday for 45 minutes when I come. You mean Jesus, when I said yes to Jesus, that's a 24-7, 365 day a year relationship. Yes, that's what it is. Now, unfortunately, what you have seen portrayed erroneously, wrongly, is that Christianity becomes some compartment of your life where you got your little spirituality box checked. And if you come to church on Sunday, then Jesus gets 45 minutes of your life and then you go back to your life and do whatever you want. That is not what happened. I'm sorry that we peddled Jesus to you and Christianity as some Sunday religion kind of thing. I'm sorry we did that to you. Because you'd be surprised how many people don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. Here, here's what my pastor would say to me when I would call him upset that Coco did whatever she did. My phone calls would sound something like this. Yo, pastor, I got to talk to you, man. What's, what's going on? I got to talk to you about the woman God gave me. She's not Coco now. She's the woman God gave me. I want to talk to you about her. She is this and that and the third, and I need you to talk to her. Can I give her the phone? He's like, no, don't do that. Here's what I hear. I hear that you're not dead yet, and so I'm going to hang up now so you can go and put yourself to death so that Christ can live in and through you in this marriage. That's not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that you were going to have a conversation with her about not listening to me and submitting. I like the S word. Come on, somebody. Can I read a scripture to you? And you tell me if this doesn't sound crazy. You ready? My old self has been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm fine with that second part. So I live in this earthly body, trusting I want to trust Jesus. But that first part, listen to what he says. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Those of you that gave your life to the Lord, I don't know if you understood the exchange you were making on Sunday. Because what you were saying is, okay, I'm coming to receive Christ. You thought you were walking away and you were just adding Jesus to the rest of your life and doing whatever you were doing. And you got a little Sunday relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, you don't understand. It's life for life. It's like when you come to me, you are literally saying, I'm laying my former manner of life down. I am coming to be a disciple of yours, which means I'm going to learn life according to the way you have designed it. That is completely different than everything else you've heard. Which, by the way, not only does he ask you to do that, command you to do that, but he also gives you the Holy Spirit to empower you to accomplish it. There's no way for you to love the way you're supposed to love without the Holy Spirit. Come on. Husbands, how many husbands in here? Say amen. amen. Wave at me, brothers. You could have said a better amen than that, but anyway. <laughs> how many husbands in here? Say amen. amen. There you go. We got, that, that sounded a little bit better. We'll try it later. Don't worry. Did you ever notice that, that what you're prescribed to do as a husband is uniquely different than what your wife is called to do? As a husband, your, your wives are called to submit, and there's ladies, before you lose your mind, there's mutual submission in there, but there's submission involved. And, but, but what you are called to do, sir, is to lay your life down for your wife the way Christ laid his life down for the church. Wait a minute, Jesus died for the church. So that's what I'm supposed to do. That's why marriage is not working. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> Seth, go warm the car up. This is gonna be a hasty extract. <laughs> that's why it's hurt. You know what's funny? Coco, you will say this too, I bet. We've never been in marriage counseling where a couple ran into each other and they were struggling with each other, with both of them saying, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. No, no, no. What usually lives is my agenda, what I want, what I feel like, my offense, and I need you to listen to me, and you got to do what I ask you to do, and you're not paying attention, and my needs aren't being met, and you never listen to me, and, and, and no Jesus in between them. But, but you know how marriage really works? Come on up here, sweetheart. Come on with your fine self. Come on, quickly. Come on, let's go, woman. Come on. This, this is how marriage works. I'm going to show you how marriage works. It works when you look good like this, that's for sure. But she stay on that side. Two people have been drawn to the cross of Jesus. This is how it works. I'm telling you, this is the only way it works. And, and, and how many of you Christians that are living your life as best you can around the cross say it's still hard? But this is, how, this is how we live. This is how we live, right here, together. That means I don't get to be right, he gets to be right when we have problems. That means his will gets to supersede my will. The way that I communicate to her, even when I think I'm right, it's gotta be full of the fruit of the Spirit. It's always that part. Has any of you husbands ever been on the right side of the argument and you still lost? You know why? No fruit of the Spirit. But, but as long as we have, for the last 35 years this May, built our lives here, we've been okay. When any one of us started moving away from the cross, turbulence ensues. And, and listen to me, that's in a day, that's in a week. That we even, yes, your pastors, definitely drift apart from each other and Jesus, only to have Jesus say, no, 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 no. You got to go back to where it began and stay right here. Thank you. Which, which while she's getting off the stage, she will be your guest speaker next Sunday morning. Yes. And I said that out loud so she could not back out at the last minute. So all of you know, she is the speaker. Crucified with, say with. Yeah, so, so what is, what's being crucified? What, what does he want? What, is, what does he want? Well. 
all of who you used to be is now nailed to the cross. So my pastor would say it this way, you're living a life called death. And, and we're discovering, because nobody can, can just say, you, you would like to believe you could lay it all down at the cross. But I'm here telling you this morning that I ate this message before I ever prepared it or, or spoke it to you. I had to eat it myself. And I see areas in my life this morning, presently, where I reserved my own rights to that area. I reserved my own, I want to do my own thing. I want to do it my way. I don't want to submit. I don't want to surrender. There's a part of me, and I don't know if I'm the only one in the room, but it's okay. You can make yourself feel better by looking at me. But there's a part of me that pushes back from being crucified. There's a part of me that doesn't want my will, my purposes, my plans, my ambitions, my very will surrendered to his. And yet we say we're Christians. Christians only do the things that they see the Father doing. Jesus was relentless in this. Let me walk you through John real quick. Just, just, just walk with me. John chapter 5, Jesus says these words. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. You can just put your name in there. Anytime you see Son, that is you and me. Jesus said, by the way, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own but say only, listen to this, I only say what the Father taught me. What if Christians started posting like the Father taught them? Oh, y'all not going to talk to me? Little Facebook, little thumb bandits, little thumb thugs. Everybody in there, little thumb thugs, because you got your little crowd that you run with, your little Fox News people, your little CNN people, whoever your people are, you want to quote them all the time. What you should be quoting is the fruit of the Spirit. What you should be quoting is what would your father say, not what your little group says. I don't care who's in the White House, what president, you are supposed to be a kingdom person first, not a Republican, liberal, whatever you are. You are a Christian, a Christ follower, which means the evidence of your father should be in your tongue, your conduct, your speech, your marriage, your recreation, your play. You are never out of your father's gaze. This one, how about this one? John 14 and 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You know where that bothers me? Because sometimes when I'm around my family, they pluck my nerves. Am I the only one that got crazy relatives that just drive you nuts? Come on, wave at me if you got crazy relatives. Just wait until the summer comes. They'll be at the family picnic. And then you'll have to come to church and be at an altar. Come on. I don't know what that is. But you know what? The last thing I want to be is the stumbling block and the reason why they don't come to Christ. And they give an excuse that says, well, I thought Keith was supposed to be a pastor. He's supposed to be a pastor of a church. He's a Christian. And look how mean he is. Look how judgmental he is. Look how critical he is. Look, he doesn't look like what he professes to be. Now, all of us are on a journey. Touch your name and say, Relax. Touch your other neighbor and say, I told you it was going to be turbulent. Tell them right now. <laughs> I can't just preach you sugar drops and gun drops every Sunday. There's some Sundays you come in here, you're going to get convicted. Not condemned, but convicted. So that why? So that we can forsake those things that are not pleasing to the Lord and further get more aligned and become more like Jesus. And I don't know if you noticed or not looked in the mirror yet, but we don't look like Jesus good enough. And no, none of us can say to anybody, when you've seen us, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me at work, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me at the gym, you've seen the Father. We may see glimpses of him. We might see some remnants of him. But how many of you would say, in all honesty this morning, just here, not those people over there, just here, how many would say in these sections, I need to be more like Jesus? Lift your hand. Yeah. How? What do I do? There's another exchange. Hey, listen, I, can I read a portion of Scripture that is just going to rip you to shreds? 
It's just going to, I'm telling you, it's just going to fillet you the way that it did me. I, I watch these shows on TV with people fishing. I don't fish. I fish at Fred Meyer. Come on, somebody. I know some of y'all go out there. That's called hoping you catch. Me, I'm going to catch every time. But I'm probably going to go fishing this spring. I want to get out and catch a little something, you know. I'm a city boy. Y'all already know. It's going to be iffy. But I watched this channel where this guy has this sharp knife, and he just cut the fish, and he just fillets the thing. And that's how I felt with this scripture. You know how the Bible says that the word of God is a double-edged sword, able to cut and discern the thunder, cut the thunder of the soul and the marrow. And it's like I felt cut by this word. You ready? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. <laughs> it's coming. Here it comes. Luke 9, 23 through 26. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, said to the crowd, you must, number one, deny yourself or, in one translation, give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Three components to that text. Give up your old way of life or deny your old life. Take up the cross that Jesus has for you daily and then follow his way. That is Christianity in a nutshell. Now, this word deny in the Greek is in this, in this the way that the word is phrased, it is in what is called the indicative verb in the present tense, which means all it means to you and I is when you see this word deny in the text, it's a, not a one-time thing. It is a continual denial of self. Because I don't know about you, but my fallen nature, my will has resurrection, res resurrection capacity, which means this. I can say today that I deny myself and I pick up my cross and I nail myself and I'm crucified with Christ. I can really commit to that, be at the altar, and then tomorrow morning, as sure as the sun will rise, well, maybe it doesn't rise here, but it always rises, doesn't it? It's just 30,000 feet above us. It's, it's out. Anyway, as surely as the sun rises, my will will compete against God's. I want back ownership of my life. I want to do it my way. I'll think that I'm right about everything. And there's, there's two ways to do things. There's the wrong way and there's the right way according to me. And that's how I want to live. And there's something about me that just usurp, that just takes back control. In, in fact, there's, there's times where Coco and I are having conversations. Maybe ministry is not going good. Maybe I got a couple emails that I shouldn't have gotten. People are upset about whatever because, you know, we got 2,000 people in the church. Somebody's upset about something you said. It's too loud. The, the music's too cold. Whatever it is. And I get one of those. And some, some mornings, if I'm honest, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Get you a new pastor. I'm sorry. You don't like this one? I don't care. I'm out of here. I'm going to go do my own thing. And my wife will say to me, babe, I hear you. You're frustrated. And I'm like, I'm not frustrated. I'm done. Resignation time, I'm done, I'm not frustrated. In fact, I feel very liberated right now. I ain't, hey, I didn't dream growing up that I live in Gresham anyway, hello. Don't even have an In-N-Out burger here. Barely got Chick-fil-A. kind of place is this? God doesn't live, no, let me stop. Then she'll say something like, well, you know, you didn't call yourself here. You didn't save yourself. You don't belong to yourself. And then she'll say, here's your coffee, and you and Jesus can talk about it and walk away. <laughs> what kind of wife is that? Come on. Leave me with the Holy Spirit after dropping them on me? And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, God, when I met you, I was addicted to pornography and alcohol and um, just the worst kind of pervert you could imagine. And I was profane, and you saw fit to save me, place your Holy Spirit within me, and then call me into your service. Yeah, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to do what you asked me to do, even if it means tears streaming down my eyes, because there was an exchange made. I gave you my life. When I accepted you into my heart and, said, and saw and understood the sacrifice you made, then it was necessary out of gratitude. Now, I'm not trying to earn anything this morning. From the Lord, not you, but from the Lord. I'm not trying to earn anything. I, out of gratitude for what has been done. Out of gratitude. How many of you have noticed how patient God is with you? 
How many find yourself repenting right now over the same thing repeatedly to find God still being gracious to you? How many? Come on, wave at me. Those of you that are Aaron, the rest of you are lying. Get down near the altar right now. Because none of you are walking perfect. Everybody is screwing this up at one level or another. Everybody is at various stages of growth, development, revelation, and ability to walk with God. And yet God is patient. Even though the people around you are impatient or frustrated with you, God's patient and loving and long-suffering with you. And so how could we not? Touch your name and say, I don't know. So we call this series The Crucified Life. There's a book written by, by the same title. And, and so I started trying to put together a definition of what would the crucified life look like if you put it in a statement. And this is what I came up with. It is a life where you are continually doing your best as you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey God and deny ourselves. That's the crucified life. Every day you're trying to obey God and deny yourself more, which, by the way, is countercultural to everything you're taught in American society, which is get whatever you want, do whatever you want to do. You are your own person, however you, and we say dumb stuff like follow your heart. Whatever your heart wants, go do it. Do you know that the Bible says that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and no one can know it? Whatever you do, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart led you to the last deadbeat. Come on, somebody. Don't follow that. Follow what he said. Wait for him. His spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. Are you hearing me? If you keep following yourself, you'll keep getting the same results. Why don't we follow him, put our lives to death, and say, I've done the best that I could leading myself, and look where it got me. So now I'm going to deny myself and start learning the ways of Jesus. And I'm going to pick up a cross. You're like, I don't want to carry a cross. The cross is too heavy. <laughs> there was a story some years ago that I heard that bears repeating this morning. And it was a man complaining about the cross he had to carry. And so he came into, it was, you know, a first century guy. He's carrying a cross, a literal cross. And he comes in and he said, man, the Christ goes into the cross shop and he sets the cross down. He says, Man, this cross, I got splinters in my shoulders. This cross hurts. It doesn't, doesn't fit me right. This is the wrong cross. I need a new cross. The guy said, hey, take your time. There's hundreds of crosses here, big ones, small ones, skinny ones, whatever you want. Just find a cross. So the guy starts trying on crosses and, ah, that's too heavy and, ah, this one, this is too awkward and that type of thing. And it takes an hour. The guy's just watching him and he's just trying on crosses. And finally, he picks up a cross and he says, ooh, this one's good. I like this one. This is a good cross. This is good. I don't feel like, yeah, I like, I like this one. How much is this one? And the guy looks at him. He says, it's free. It's the one you drug in here. <laughs> I know that each of you have a cross. Single moms, single dads. You got all kinds of burdens you're carrying as well as trying to walk with Christ. I got you. But you know what's funny about that? There's a grace for each one of you to live the life you're living. There's a grace for the season you're in. I know that to be true because I've walked through life with Jesus now for a long time. And I've walked through plenty. I've walked through lack. I've walked through hardship. I've walked through deaths. I've walked through abandonments. I've walked through rejections. I've walked through betrayals. I've walked through everything. And you know what I found out? There literally is a grace of God to get through every season and everything you're carrying. There's a grace if you will acknowledge him and trust him, your burdens will get lighter. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. He will empower you. But when I try to do it myself, in my own strength, in my own ability, I get crushed. But it's funny to me. Whenever I yield to the Lord, I have an ability to get through. I don't know how I get through. How many of you can look back at your life now 20, in hindsight and have 20-20 vision of a season that you got through, didn't know at the time how you were going to get through it, but now you look back. Not only do you see the hand of the Lord was in it the whole time, but you also can see now what he was building inside of you in that hardship. Anybody just wave at me. Come on. Come on. You better give the Lord a hand clap right now. Come on. Absolutely. Much like going to the gym, which I have come to love again 
I, I don't know about you, but during COVID, it wasn't COVID-19 for me, it was COVID-50. Come on, somebody. I ate my way through the pandemic. And so therefore, it's taken me a minute to get off. But here's what the trainer is telling me at the gym. He says, hey, you know, I've been watching you. He comes up to me. He says, I've been watching you. You come in here on a regular basis, which is a good thing to hear from a trainer. Come on, somebody. He says, but, but do you understand what's happening? I said, what do you mean? He says, every time you're under the weight, it's tearing your muscles and there's strain and there's, bur- there's a burden and hardship. You're probably sore the next morning. He says, but each time you do that, you're building back stronger muscle tissue. You're getting stronger. Did you ever stop to think that God is using hardship in your life as a gym to work your faith out in? That, 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 that when you start out, you can only lift so much, and God says, yeah, let's take them through some hardship because we got to build them up so that they can withstand hardships of every kind without leaving, without moving. Without, watch this. Without saying things like when hardship comes, I thought God loved me. I thought God loved me. I wouldn't go through hardships. Uh-uh. God loves you, and the enemy hates you. You're going to always go through some type of hardships. The devil is trying to destroy you with hardships. But God is using it for the construction of his image in you or the restoration of his image and to cause you to be able to stand no matter what season you're going through. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. That's good. So wherever you are, if you say right now I'm going through hardship, you ought to turn that around and say, oh, the Lord's got me in the gym right now. I'm going to come out of here nice and sexy in the spirit, right, just in time for the summertime. Come on, y'all. Sun's out, gun's out in the spirit. Hallelujah. So then there's got to be a daily habituation of this ritual in your life, which is what daily devotions is. I don't know if you've done this or not, but you should have an altar in your house. You should have an altar, a meeting place. It's a chair. It's the dining room table. It's a lazy boy. It's in the backyard. It's wherever it is. And for me, in the summertime, in the spring, when the weather changes, I go out in my backyard around my fire pit and have coffee. Sometimes I invite people to come with me, and, and I'm just before the Lord out there. Wherever it is in your life, you need a place, a set place, a meeting place, where you and the Lord meet on a regular basis. Where, where, where on a daily basis, one of the first things that I do, and I don't go to a cross somewhere and say, okay, God, crucify me with you afresh in the spirit. No, no, no. It's not a crucifying of me as much as it's my will, my purposes, my plans, my pursuits, my expectations are all nailed to this cross. And they all, I don't know about you. But my plans and my purposes and my pursuits are sometimes not even his. He's not even after the same things I'm after. And even when they do align, it's for a different purpose than what I have purposed. In fact, I'm constantly having to go to God in my daily time and say, Lord, I renounce my rights to myself. Which is what denial, this this word in the Greek means when you say deny. It is a renunciation of your rights. So, so it, here's what's funny. Everybody now, you turn on TikTok, you turn on anything, it's like we're asserting our rights. And I'm saying to you as a Christian, you're constantly laying your rights down. See? Completely different than the culture. Jesus is saying you lay your life, you nail your rights to the cross. You have no more rights to yourself. You are crucified with me, and the life you now live is the life that I live in and through you. You live it for my glory now. You live it according to my will now. You do what I tell you to do. You post what I tell you. Oh, Jesus, let me stop. Some Christians ought to just stay away from social media. It is a bad testimony to the world sometimes of who Jesus is. Misrepresented. Do you know why? Not been nailed. When's the last time? When's the last time you even said no to yourself? No. You don't get to do that. Yeah, you have a right to it and still no. I don't like saying no to myself. In fact, I don't like being told no. Wait a minute. You don't tell me. Who do you think you are talking to me? Oh, I don't crack my finger like Let me stop. So, so then, what is it, what, what, is, what are we talking about? There's a book written that I read probably once a year to try to read a chapter or two, and I always seem to come back to the same chapters every year. I've read this book for years, and, and I'm telling you, don't order this book if you don't want to get smashed upside your head with truth. 
It is called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Don't read that book if you don't really want to be a disciple with Jesus. If you really want to be a learner, a pupil, a student of Jesus, get that book. He has a chapter in there that is called Cheap Grace. It is the cheapening of grace. He would assert it is the cheapening of grace to believe that you can accept Jesus without really repenting. That you can accept Jesus without having to conform your life to his manner of life. How many of you have noticed that Jesus calls and defines entertainment and fun in a way that we don't? How many of you notice that everything that Jesus is requiring of you usually runs like this against your life? Isn't that right? Here comes the sacrifice. Here comes the sacrificial nature of walking with Jesus because there's a way, the Scripture says in Proverbs 14, there's a way that appears right to a man, but that way leads to death. It appears right. It looks right. What's the problem? I can live with my girlfriend. What's the big deal? We can buy a house together even though we don't have a covenant together. We can make a $500,000 purchase together. What could go wrong? Just think of all of the things that if we did them the way Jesus said to do them, or we walked according to the word of God, how many things would be right in our world? Touch your name and say, that's something to think about. Costly grace versus cheap grace. Here, here's, what, here's what cheap grace is. Cheap grace is God's forgiveness without repentance or conforming to God's will. In other words, I just said a prayer, said some stuff at an altar, but I went back in my life and just did everything I was doing before, and I just come to church every week. No, that's cheap grace. Costly grace is recognizing what your salvation cost you and then allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you in what is called sanctification, where you are cleansed from sin and the effects of sin in your life. And that, by the way, takes the rest of your life. All of us are bent towards sin and require the Holy Spirit to move us in a way, give us new appetites for the things of God. Isn't that right? And how many of you know that your appetite grows over time? So those of you that are here that just prayed last week and you're like, ah, this is all so much, I got you, relax. Say relax. Look at your neighbor, say relax. Turn around and look somebody in the face, say you too. Here's what's good about the Holy Spirit. It's all new to you and the Holy Spirit knows. And he's not expecting the same things out of you that he might expect out of me after all the years I've walked with him. He's not even expecting out of you what he's expecting the people sitting on your row. So don't even measure yourself by them. Because half the time we come to church pretending we got it all together anyway. So we think everybody needs to think, you know, so we're trying to keep an image together. Stop doing that. Just bring the real hot mess you to church. And let the Holy Spirit work on all the hot messes at the same time. Somebody clapped on that. Thank you. Forgiveness without repentance. Come on, worship team. Discipleship without church discipline or accountability. Do you know that there's a such thing as church discipline? That there should be church discipline? That there should be accountability in your life? Like if you're hitting here right now and you're a man or woman of God and you don't have anybody in your life to hold you accountable, to confess sin to, to help somebody come into your life to struggle with you. I thank God for the men that I can call. I got four of them. Any one of them, they all know the story. And any one of them, I can call and say, hey, I'm struggling. Yoga pants, they'll get it. Code, they understand. Pray. Oh, y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> Just stop. Don't act like that. I'm in the aisle, and I'm getting groceries, and Coco is calling me, but yet there's something on a magazine that's drawing my attention because we live in a sexualized culture, and I'm not immune to it. But I don't want to fall to temptation. So how do I handle that? Yo, 911, bro, struggling, need some prayer right now. That doesn't exempt me from calling my wife too, baby. Hey, it's a tough day today out here. Help me out. What do you need? What do you need, baby? Just pray for me today. Because there's nothing she can give me that will extinguish that fire in me. Ladies that are married, just so you understand, any man that's struggling with sexual temptation, giving him sex won't extinguish the fire. It enlivens the fire. He's got to learn self-control and temperance on his own. You can pray, but you can't give him anything. That'll free some lady right now that's trying to work her way to help him. 
No, what he needs is other men in his life to hold him accountable. And he's got to let some men into his life. He's got to be vulnerable enough to allow it and to bring some teeth into his life. How many know you won't go the way you are supposed to go? You will go the path of least resistance. All of us do. We don't want any challenge. That's why some people never get involved in a church, just so you know. They don't want anybody to see them or know them or be able to say anything to them. That's why it's okay for you to hide in the crowd for a while. But if you want to grow, if you really want to grow in Christ, some people got to know you and you got to know them and, and warts and all. And you know what you find in that moment? Is you find that unconditional love is a safe place where people know you. They're not in love with you, but they know you and they love you enough to not only speak the truth in love to you, but to walk with you as the truth takes root in you. Because that takes time. And as you start dealing with all the other stuff and pulling out roots of other things, oh my God, there's racism in here. Oh my gosh. Look at y'all, y'all got quiet like y'all don't know. Yeah, it's in here. Got to pull that out, biases, all kinds of appetites. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh, the Holy Spirit's got a plan for you. Just keep walking, keep worshiping, keep surrendering. Do you not know I grew up in East Baltimore? There were no white people in my life. And here I am pastoring a bunch of y'all. You know how that works? You know how that works? The Holy Spirit starts pulling up stuff and saying, that's not like me. I know they didn't grow up in your neighborhood. They don't have your, your same story and different things, but you're human just like them. And they're created out of my image just like you. And by the way, they're family just like I am with you. And so you start learning, and all of a sudden now we got family on every, just about every continent and the planet. We got family. Our kids call people auntie and uncle that don't look like us, didn't come from us, don't look nothing like us. But you know, that's what God does when you do what? Nail it. When's the last time you committed and said, God, I'm putting my life as I formerly knew it to death? I had a thought this week. And I was gonna uh, call one of our members in the church. I said, you know what, he works at a mortuary. And I said, hey, I need a casket for illustration. This Sunday, I was getting really radical. And, and, and I said, hey, I, I want six pallbearers and we just bring a casket down at the right time and set it right in front of the church because we're gonna have a death service. And I thought that'd be too much. <laughs> so I changed my mind. We got a cross, it's an instrument of death, you get the point. And my wife says, thank God. <laughs> I used a little bit of humor today on purpose, maybe too much, because I want to ease it in. But the simple truth of the matter is, is you can't walk in resurrection life until there's been a death. Wouldn't it be great if we could get to resurrection, if Jesus could have got to resurrection without the death, that would have been great. But there's no sense of walking in the power of God and the renewedness of life that is in Christ without there being a death. Thanks for that, Arlen. I want every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment of time. You do your own sense of business before the Lord. Church, those of you that have named the name of Jesus, I want you to take a minute and start searching your life as the Holy Spirit will give it to you, give you utterance today to start understanding, say, it literally as you're sitting there praying, say, search me, Lord, if there's anything that's not like you and me, anything that's not surrendered to you, would you speak to me now so that I know where you're working and operating and help me put it to death. Help me nail it to your cross. But there's others, there may be somebody here this morning that says, man, I, I want to have a new life. I want a new beginning, I need a new start. My life is a mess. I've made it a mess, I know I have, but this morning you've been saying that Jesus came and that he died for us and he's my substitute and I'd like to accept Jesus and start over again. I'd like to have Jesus as the Lord of my life. I want him to direct my steps from this moment forward. If that's you, it may just be one person that came in here. They said, you know what, I need a savior. My life is headed nowhere fast. And I've been doing what I think is right. And now I realize that God has a different plan. And I need to submit to that. If that's you, just right where you are, nobody looking around, just signify that with an uplifted hand. Just say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. That's me. Okay. I see your hands. If you had your hand raised, look up at me. 
mean that? Did you mean it? Okay. Now, if you prayed previous, then don't do what I'm about to say to do. If you've prayed with me before, don't, don't move. I'll tell you what to do in a second. If I haven't and you haven't been here, stand to your feet right where you stand. Just stand to your feet right where you are. Does anybody? Okay. Good. So those of you that had your hand raised, look at me for a minute. So what you're needing now is assurance of faith. So we've got to disciple you, and you've got to make time for that in your life, and I don't know when. One of the places that you can start is with the journey. And the journey, you can sign up today is the last day, but we can't, I can't help you understand how to grow in Christ if you don't make time to be taught. So we've got to have some time, and yeah, it's a sacrifice and reprioritization, figuring out what to do with the kids, but in order for you to grow, you're going to have to make time, okay? So that's, in, that's on you to do, and you can go to anybody in the hallway, any of the pastors, anybody with a lanyard, and they can direct you and tell you what to do, okay? So for the rest of you, look up at me, the rest of the church. How many of you see how often you're in charge versus Jesus? How many can see that now? Okay. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Let's make room for him. Let's make room. Can we worship as a prayer together? Jocelyn, come here. Come here. This is my daughter who wasn't supposed to be here this morning. Uh, don't, don't clap yet. <laughs> she wasn't supposed to be here this morning. But how I many know there are no accidents? God knows what he's doing. And I asked her to sing a song for us that, that sort of epitomizes what it's going to take for you to be discipled and for you to grow in God and for Christ to live in you. So as she's singing it, she's not entertaining you. Please make this a prayer. And when you catch the verse, that's why the words are here, so you can participate and make it your prayer too. So I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, whatever you want to.
first of all, we just ask you to forgive us for retaining the rights to our lives when you've done so much for us. Lord, forgive us. We recognize that we were bought with a high price, the blood of Jesus. So Lord, you're not asking for us to owe you anything, but out of a deep sense of gratitude and thanksgiving, we willingly offer our lives. You never took sacrifice from Israel. They brought them out of their heart's desire to commune and relate with you. And so, Lord, we offer our lives to you this morning. Do what you want to do. Send us where you want to send us. Commission us to do whatever it is that you desire for us. We want to live for your glory. For your glory. So, Lord, in the areas that are stubborn, that are difficult for us to put to death, Holy Spirit, empower us so that we might be conformed into your image, into your will. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Come on. High five, five people, tell them you love them as you go this morning. Go with God. God's going to go with you. We love you.